on your way to your seat, maybe just say hi to somebody. Let's give some high fives this morning. It's a good day. If you really want to go after it, give them a double five. Thank you. All right. What a good start to the day. Shapers. All right. Uh, so what I want to do today, I, I, I want to focus on two things. And I, I'm going to say up front because my mind has just been, I'm having so much fun with these letters that I don't want to get lost. All right. There's so much in every letter. Today we're going to focus on one so we can't do all seven. There's no time. But my words for today is this. Can I give you slide number six? It's just practice in presence. So at the very beginning, we saw, let's start with presence. Back, back in verse one, that John sees someone like a son of man, and he is in the midst of the lampstands. So he is among them. Jesus is near. Jesus is very close by, and he is powerful in this depiction. He is the lion. He is, whoa. And he is amongst the churches. And I was struck, do I feel that way? Do I recognize his presence and his power in that way? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to say no, not very often. I don't think of him that way. But he is power. And he is with us, presence. So I want today, no matter where, where we go, what you're going to see today is that Jesus, Jesus, King Jesus, is really, really present. Which would mean that he is very present here in this lampstand today. First word, practice. But then our presence and practice. What I want to do is the letters give us a really good chance. We've been talking about this. Can you give me slide number four? This, the imagery, right, that is so crazy to us is not crazy to those who are hearing it. There's, I mean, it is wild. And the problem with this imagery is it's in the part of the Bible that, no one, that we don't like to read. It's the prophets. Do people like reading Hosea? Do we like reading Zechariah? Are those our favorite places to go? Yes or no? No. At least not me historically. I'm starting to get excited about it. So what I want to do is the letters, for some reason, in the letter, it's easier for, us to, easier for us to see the text, to see what he's trying to draw us back to. And I also want to show you the context around a church because the letter itself is so dialed into that specific people and that specific church. So I want to practice today reading the letter. Then I also want to conclude practicing the letter itself. Each one, not all of them, but primarily, there's an encouragement, right? Jesus is here. Here's an encouragement. But I have this against you. Challenge. I guess slide number eight. And then there's a promise, okay? So I want to try one letter, first recognizing the presence of God. And you'll see in it, I mean, he knows exactly what's going on. Culturally, economically, personally. He knows everything, and he makes it really known to this church, I see you. I'm with you. And even though this letter is written to somebody a long time ago, it's also for us. 
because he's drawn their eyes back to the church prior, the people prior. So all of those illusions in, um, not all, but four, slide four, a lot of these are people living through persecution, suffering, compromise, idolatry, immorality. He's drawing them back to people and saying, this is how they endured. This is how I was with them. So you have to not only find the passage, but you also have to understand who is this passage even about, which makes it's, it's some work. But I was getting ready, and it seems like a lot of work. We want Jesus to make it easier. But I had to work really hard to get to know my wife, and I'm still getting to know my wife. Or your best friend. In relationship, you never stop trying to get to know them, right? So I understand this might feel a little daunting to try to do this. But if a relationship with Jesus really matters, we should, right? We should want to know these things. We should want, and all these past references will bring encouragement. So listen to this sentence. I got this at one of the, book, one of the 30 books Dad gave us. He said this, Revelation was written and shared to enable its hearers, these churches, to control their fear, to renew their commitment, and to sustain their vision. The revelation is to enable the hearers, which we read out loud today for a reason, to control their fear, to renew their commitment, and to sustain their vision of what's coming, right? This is how things actually are, church. Is there a little fear in our world today? A little bit, right? That's how we drive. I'm just going to leave it there. Yes, and to renew their commitment. So the church, there, there was definitely some persecution. But largely, these churches are wrestling with compromise. These are not, these are not, they're Antipas, we won't read about today, but he was killed. But primarily, the temptation of evil is to be compromised in areas like economics and making it in nationalism and pride. They're being compromised. And what's happening is God is being moved down below very, very, very sneakily. There's a C.S. Lewis book called The Screwtape Letters. Anyone read this? Old book. And uh, the, the, the uncle demon who's writing to his younger nephew says, don't go after the big things. Don't do the big things. They're obvious. Do the little things. It, the little things move people just a little bit down the slope and down the slope and down the slope. And pretty soon you're living in a world that you just, you think you made. You think I chose, but you did not. It was evil leading you somewhere. Primarily, these churches are dealing with that kind of thing. One church, which I won't read about today, in Pergamum, they had a law in place. Couldn't you imagine this? Talk about to, to help the hearers control their fear. They lived in a place where there was a festival, and this festival was awful. But the law was, to be married, every young woman had to lose their virginity at the festival. Everyone to be married. Can you imagine living in a place like that? I think my world's crazy. Perspective. They are being asked, and they have no voice. They have no, 
They don't get to say things. There's no First Amendment like we have. They don't have a lot of things that we have. And he's saying, hang in there. This is how things actually are. But it's so hard to see. But he begins the letter, right? We talked about, it was in I think both rooms last week. Tom, I'm not sure you did. I'll talk about something else you said later. But he is the lion right now at the beginning. So I sat in the sanctuary this morning because these doors were locked. And I was sitting there in the dark. And I can see the lion really easily in the dark. But I couldn't see the lamb quite yet. It was hard to see the lamb. Which is why I think this is such a hard letter to read. It's so confusing because it's hard to see the lamb. We can see the lion. And he begins with the lion because he has to assure people living in a culture where the temptation to compromise is is huge to hang in there. So he begins with the son of man and he is power. Tom said last week, so bright, that person in Imagine Heaven who saw him, so bright he was glad he did not have eyes. That's how bright and powerful God is. So that's what I want to do today. So I'm going to ask this at the beginning and I'll probably, I think I'll ask at the end before we get into a letter because I want to show you this. Jesus is among us. How might he encourage, if he was going to say something, to, could you imagine getting this letter? You'll see in a minute, he's talking directly to them. Could you imagine, what does he have to say to you and to us? How would he encourage us? How would he, but I hold this against you? Because none of us are perfect. We all have things we need to repent of and grow from. Amen? What would he hold against us? But he is promises, but I, I am with you. So at the end, I'm going to ask you that question. I want to give you a moment. So I think the Lord perhaps might encourage you today. Because he's with us in here. I think he might also say, but I hold this against you. What is that? And then we'll end with promise. Okay. All right, so what I want to do today is I want to explore the letter to the church in Laodicea. So it's going to be on page 1,217. It's the last letter. And what I want to do here for a moment is I want you to see Jesus is talking to someone and he knows them just like he knows us. I want to look at the context of the city. I'm going to tell you about the city. I'm going to, after I do that, I'm going to reread the passage. I want you to hear how well Jesus knows this church. And then we're going to look at the text. And why did he choose these? Hopefully, by practicing this, it'll equip us for the rest of the letter. Okay? So the context. I'm just going to go with the one. I had seven. I actually had a whole separate church ready, but we don't have time for that. So Laodicea. Can you give me slide number nine? So Laodicea is the bottom right, right there. So this is the postal route, right? The letter went around the postal route. So, wait, isn't that so fun that Jesus gave a letter that every church got to read about every church? Isn't that like Jesus? Because then what? We get to encourage each other. We, they could probably pray for each other. They could also see, oh man, these are the pitfalls. These are things they're wrestling with. Are we wrestling with those things? I love that Jesus said like, you know, I'm not going to write to a church. This is all of you churches. And I want you to know what's going on in my kingdom. And how you can love each other, pray for each other, encourage each other. And how to perhaps avoid things we might need to repent of. I think that is so good. So we're down here in Laodicea. 
So Laodicea sat between two cities. So if you went to the right, a little bit to the right, uh, like kind of like that direction, would be Heropolis, I believe, and down a little bit to the right would be uh, uh, Colosseum, which is the a letter to the church in Colossae. Um, so Heropolis uh, had a natural hot spring. It was super famous, okay? And it was known for its healing qualities. People from all over the world would travel to this hot spring because it was such a great place. There was like medical things there. People came there to be healed. And they still do to this day. People still visit. And Colossae had, <clears throat> was known for having incredibly fresh, cool, delicious water. Problem for Laodicea is they're in the middle. And they're not getting the cool, fresh water. They're not really getting the really warm water. So there's, their water is terrible. And it keeps calcifying their pipes. So they're actually having a hard time getting water to them. Okay? So that's the water situation. <clears throat> a little bit more about the city, though. There was a major earthquake there in AD 60. And Katie unpacked it back in August. A, 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 did we say it? Parousia? Is that how we say it? Yeah. A, a, a parousia. So when there was a natural disaster... The emperor would come and he would survey. He would make a deposit for them to rebuild. Well, he did that in several places. Uh, uh, Heropolis got money. Colossae got no money because no one wanted to invest money in Colossae. Interesting for that letter later. And Laodicea said, we don't need it. We're so rich. We don't need your money. Which maybe the emperor was like, great. Or he, maybe he was offended. I'm not sure. But they said no to the Persia. We don't need it. Why? It was a home for banking. They had their own mint. They had lots of money. We don't need any help. They actually had a coin in their place, in their city. that said, we did it ourselves. That's Laodicea, all right? It was also home to a 60,000-person arena. This arena was the home of gladiatorial games. There's military presence there. Huge, uh, uh, the military actually would work with the gladiators. The gladiators would try out new weapons in the arena. And then if they thought they were good weapons, they would train the military in that weaponry. Okay, interesting. Um, but they also had a problem in that city because the military presence was there. There was this practice called uh, angaria. That's where like, Jesus refers to it. If a soldier said, carry my pack a, a mile, Jesus said, carry it two. Well, the other part of Angario was that uh, if they knocked on your door, you had to give them a meal. And because there were so many soldiers in different cities around there, they actually wrote the emperor and said, could we ease this law? Because this is a huge problem. Soldiers, are, they, they're demanding food all the time, but not Laodicea. They said, leave it, it's fine. Because we're rich. We can do this ourselves. <clears throat> a couple things about Laodicea, okay? Got it? A little bit of context. Let me reread the letter and listen to the words that Jesus shares through John to them. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, <clears throat> the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and I don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, and blind. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. In white clothes, I forgot to say, they were famous for black wool. It was like leather, wealthy, 
rich people wore the black wool of Laodicea. And salve to put on your eyes. That hot springs with the healing qualities, they exported a special eye salve that was actually known to cure some kinds of blindness. So I counsel you to buy gold from me, refine the fire so you can become rich. White clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can actually see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So to him who overcomes, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Did you catch all those? He's talking directly to certain people about their immediate life. Catch the differences, though. Jesus said, I knock at your door, but I'm not a Roman soldier. Thanks, Kathy. I'm not going to barge my way in. I stand at the door and I wait and I knock. But if you open the door, I will come in. And that was the place in which the early church worshiped, was around a dinner table. What do you think? That's how it is in every letter, contextually. That's just to their city. I read, like, what in the world? Like, neither hot nor cold, you're either with Jesus or against Jesus. I'd rather you be one of those. That makes no sense. Jesus doesn't want us to be against him. He's saying, you have healing qualities. Be a people of healing. You have refreshing water. Be a people who's refreshing. Choose one. Be useful to my kingdom. So I chose the letter because most people say they think this letter best represents what Jesus might say to the United States of America. We pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We have people who are self-made. Not self-made. We think we are rich. We can do it ourselves. He says, you, I've been trying to give you real gold, real clothes. I want you to see you don't seem to care to. So that's the context. Let's try the text. And what's fun about trying to find the text is you don't know for certain where John is pulling this from because it's so in him, right? He just knows the text. So trying to track this down was a ton of fun. Let's try this, though. Verse 16, we think it's new. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Well, if you go to Leviticus 18, that's an old book, the really boring law book, right? Which actually is not that boring. But 16 to 28, he says this. But you must keep my decrees and laws. The native-born and the foreigners residing among you must not do detestable things. For all these things were done by people who lived in the land before you, and the land became defiled. And if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations before you. So he said, you know that original way where I told you how to live, how to be in communion, communion with other people? If you don't, you'll be vomited out. So he's pulling it back on Leviticus. Or keep on my decrees. This is Leviticus 20, 22, and follow them. So the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. That's what they're thinking about. They're called to a place 
to be a people of blessing, right? That was God's intention, the promised land. And he's saying, in there, the land will vomit you out if you don't. Or how about this? I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Can you give me a slide? I think it's up there. No, slide number four. This is out of Hosea. It says this in Hosea 12, 7, 8. The merchant uses dishonest scales and loves to defraud. Ephraim, as Israel, boasts, I am very rich. I have become wealthy. With all my wealth, they will not find in me any iniquity or sin. You know, in Hosea, a big problem was they made an alliance with a bad kingdom, and there was a windfall of money. And the rich got really, really, really rich. And in their city, there's a huge discrepancy between the rich and the poor. And so Hosea is saying, no, you, you're supposed to, one, bad alliance. Two, you're not supposed to hoard your money. You're supposed to be generous. So he's pulling on a certain writing by a certain prophet with a certain situation. We say this now for a couple weeks. These are not new ideas. These are old ideas. And what was he trying to do again? Find that, that sentence. Something about their fear. I'm blanking on it right now once I find it here. To enable the hearers to control their fear, renew their commitment, sustain their vision. Let's keep going. What else does he say to them? In verse 19, to those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. That's a direct quote in here. That's from Proverbs 3, probably. What's Proverbs 3 about? It's about the inner life of people. The teacher's talking to the son and saying, hey, Things look good. What is going on in here? And he's saying, but I only rebuke and discipline those that I love. Interesting. Or how about the very end? I don't know if he's pulling from here, but he who has an ear, let him hear. Hosea concludes with who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them but the rebellious stumble in them. What do you think about the letter? Jesus knows his church. Jesus is present. He sees, he knows. And you know what's encouraging though? This church sounds like they're not doing so great, right? But they're a lampstand. What comes from landstands? Light. So even though, even though they're struggling with all these things, they're still a lampstand. But he said, I want you to burn brighter. Can I help you? Because they don't have any encouragement right now. But he's saying, but I love you. So I discipline and I rebuke. Could you imagine getting this letter? What would you do? I've been wondering about this. So I think about our city and our neighborhoods. How might he encourage us? I'm going to say this. I don't think it's bad. But if it is, Kevin K or TRCPello.com. <laughs> I'm, talking, I'm talking to me. Can I talk to me? Talking to me. It is election time. 
And I see lots of signs in lots of places. And I watch my own heart. I start thinking things as I see signs. But I struggle. We just came off a week of 24-7 prayer. I don't know if you can sense it. This building's been different all week. There's just a sense. The Lord has been impressing on my heart as I drive by a sign to pray for the person or to pray for the issue. Be educated. Vote. But can we, before we vote, before we talk, can we just, what if we were people who prayed? You know, uh, D.L. Moody, I've seen about this. He had a, so prayer works, okay? He had a list. D.L. Moody, famous uh, evangelist, long time ago. And I just read this here today in the Lectio app. And uh, he had a list of 100 people, right, that he wanted to see know Jesus. 100 people. When he died, 96 had put their trust in Jesus. 96. The other four said yes at his funeral. He was a hundred for a hundred. That is only something he can do. But sometimes the hundred takes a long, can you imagine that? Praying for the same hundred people for your whole life? Wow. I get so caught on this moment and how they're treating me right now and what's happening in this and I think the Lord is saying, let me show you how it really is. Later on in Revelation, there's this moment where uh, uh, the, uh, an angel comes and he collects the prayers of all the people in this huge, let me find it here. I don't even know what he puts in cuts in. A huge golden censer. He's at the altar of God and he collects all the prayers of all the people and he mixes incense with it to cleanse it and then the fire of God comes through and it purifies it. And then he takes the prayers and he dumps them over the heavens and they hit the earth and it crashes. Thunder, lightning, the prayers of God crash into the earth. I don't think of prayer that often in that way. Do you? 100 for 100. I'm not saying that's the way it always goes. In here, it also talks about they have to repent. Yes, 100%. But there is a multitude of people in heaven. More than you can count. Why don't I live that way? Can I see people for the long run? Can I be patient with people? If I'm mad at you, can I pray for you? I'm trying to. Would you join me? What would happen? It would change the way we talk to each other. It would change the way we approach things. We would be so different, wouldn't we? We might just be really kind people. How much fun would that be? Have good conversation. Have a good disagreement. Can I pray to conclude? That'd be awesome. What would happen? So please, I'm talking to me. You can join me if you like. I'm two minutes long. When you drive by signs, join me and saying, I'm praying for, by name, by issue, whatever you want, for our city, for wards. What if, I mean, a couple thousand people come through these places. 
what if a couple thousand people are driving through Pella? As you move into what's always a really ten- tenuous, challenging time, what, what would happen in the city? I think it would be different. Especially if the prayers that the Lord wants to pour out thunder. Let's pray. So God, might we be a people who pray. Would you... Just would you develop within us a way of seeing? Would you, could there be like, could you apocalypse things to us all the time? Could you reveal something to us that is new about a person, a place through prayer? You know, John came into this, he, he got this revelation while he was in the spirit. He was praying. While he was praying, he got to see what you see. And what he saw was that the king is in control and the king is on the throne and that things are better than we think they are. And if we have a longer view of life, you do so many things in our world. So I pray we partner with you. 